It's time debit card users are also included in the cashback fun. Now everyone can get cashback on everyday purchases with Discover Cashback Debit. That includes no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey. You guys, welcome to an all-new So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal, Ryan, and this is your Thursday episode now, listen, I, I was going to take Wednesday off, but then we got hit with, uh, you know, Bethany Frankel's part one of three with Rachel Levis. And I did an emergency podcast episode today where I broke that down line by line. Now, the next two episodes will be out today and Friday, and I will try to break down that. I Maybe I'll put that over to Patreon. I'm not sure how much you guys can handle. Um, but uh, I did a whole podcast on that. But I think it's so interesting to have our guests on today that we get to talk about some of these issues that reality stars face in a more real way and about what can be done, what should be done potentially for certain reality shows, especially reality competition shows. So I couldn't be more excited for you guys to listen to my guest today. I've been teasing this all week. I did this interview last week and I just thought it was so great and, and so informative for me because as a reality show lover, a viewer, like all of you guys are, you do want these people to be in safe environments. And it's so interesting to hear some of their stories. Now, I'm not talking about Bravo in this instance. I'm talking about, in this case, Love is Blind from Netflix, which is a gargantuan juggernaut of a hit. Um, and uh, I, I didn't even realize how big it was. Now, I've watched both seasons of Love is Blind and have enjoyed them for the most part. So it was really interesting to hear some of their stories and also just to be able to think about what these people go through. Now, you know, Housewives and Bravo and things like that, that, you know, that is part obviously under this reality show umbrella. But it is interesting to hear about these people that go on these shows for whatever reason, and then the reality of this reality, what they actually do have to go through, not only in production, but then afterwards. And uh, these two gentlemen that are with us today really get to talk about what they are trying to do for the industry. And I think what I what I found really refreshing talking to them, because I've been so um, confused on the issue, um, is what is specifically being talked about. I think with Bethany, if we're to compare it to that, um, which I think is okay because it is in all of the same genre, is is especially after the Rachel interview today, I got very even more confused about what what are the issues? When are we going to start nailing down certain things and how do we help? How do we make sure that this is a viable, healthy, um, you know, uh, operation for all reality shows 
so that we can have the overall health of the shows that we so love that it's not this i keep using the phrase like you know the term scorched earth is that i want these shows to go on and to be healthy and i do believe there is a world in which all of these things can be done that people can be taken care of their mental health and just base i mean just getting basic things like water and still providing a damn good show i know i know it can be done i've seen it in a lot of instances but I just thought it was so probably beneficial to me and hopefully beneficial to you to have two guys on that have been through this and to hear from their perspective and maybe just start to fill in some of the blanks is that a lot of people are confused of like, what is Bethany out there talking about? What is it specifically? Okay. Is it the negativity that you get once something like Scandal releases? What is it? Is it financial? Is it this? So it's interesting then to finally hear some actually cold, hard facts from our two guests today. And uh, I, I really thank them so much for coming on. Uh, and it is, I want these guys to get their stuff out there to be able to talk about this because I think it is so worthwhile about what they're doing. They created this, This uh, we talk about it a lot during the interview, but they created this foundation called UCAN, which is Unscripted Cast Advocacy Network. And I read the description in the show, you know, uh, but just basically it's saying that many cast members are treated poorly. They're subject to inhumane working conditions, sophisticated psychological manipulation tactics, and a threatening atmosphere, all for little to no pay. And the cast members usually leave these shows mentally distraught with nowhere to turn. When past cast members have attempted to speak up, they are subject to threats of millions of dollars in lawsuits from the industry that makes millions off of exploiting them. So in their case, they had to even sign contracts for Love is Blind, um, you know, saying that they would have to pay like $50,000 um, in certain situations. Now, the, our guests today are both from season two of Love is Blind. Um, and uh, they started this, this UCAN. Uh, but what I love about UCAN so much is it is based around mental health. It is answering these questions. In fact, on their website, the youcanfoundation.org, you can go through all of this. Can their values, uh, they say integrity, mental health, privacy, fair labor practices, and transparency. And they even have a director uh, just for mental health support, Dr. Isabel Morley. Now today, you're going to hear from Nick Thompson and Jeremy Hartwell. Now, Jeremy was in just like, you know, the first week of Love is Blind season two, but Nick went the whole way through. And some of Nick's stories, even out of the pod, when they went to, I believe, Mexico, really are just, it shook me up. And in fact, you can go online. I watched a great YouTube video with more of their stories, but I thought it was just very interesting really seeing how these pieces come into play. And sometimes the things that are used to get, to amp up certain reactions or to keep information from somebody or keep somebody, you know, that is not mic'd on mic. There's a lot of different things that go into it that I found fascinating. So I hope you guys find this as interesting as I did, but uh, Nick and Jeremy were really two really nice, great guys. And I'm so curious to see where this goes um, because I think this, they seem like they have a plan in place or something to get the ball rolling. And I even asked them towards the end of like, has Bethany reached out? Have you like, what's going on here? That like, seems like, listen, you guys have these really great things put into place. And especially that mental health part of it, which I just so, so love. 
is that, you know, maybe they could work together. And that has not happened since. And I always question why, why, I mean, like, I hope, I mean, I think this would be great, but I don't think Bethany has, has wanted to do that as of yet. Who knows? Um, but let's get into this. I just want to remind everybody, uh, if you do enjoy these shows, if you get something out of it, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple, Spotify and, um, Apple podcasts and Spotify, and then join my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash so bad. It's good. The real housewives of New York recaps are over there and, and all that. There's tons of good stuff over there. So, uh, let's try to get a little bit more of a peek behind the curtain of what these issues are so we can be more informed as an audience about what is being talked about. So we don't get so confused because I think there's a lot of information floating out there that, um, let's try to educate ourselves a little more and try to, um, you know, try, try to see what the actual transparency is with two people that have gone through this process. So this is, uh, from the love is blind show on Netflix. Here we go. Enjoy the interview. Good. Today, I couldn't be more excited to have our next two guests on. Now we talk about reality shows and pop culture and, we also talk about how the sausage is made, and that is sometimes dealing with the after effects of not just how these shows are produced, but what we see in the immediate aftermath of that. It doesn't just end with what we see on this magical edited show that like, is supposed to be about love or, or fame or wealth or any of those things. It goes so much deeper, and our next two guests can really speak to that, and I think they're really uh, doing something so positive for reality shows in general, and of course, this has been coming up a lot more recently. Of course, we've been talking about Bethany Frankel, and I have my own opinions on that, but this is a little different than that. Now, they both come from the show, the hugely popular show on Netflix, Love is Blind. Now, I've watched and enjoyed both seasons of this show. I've always had questions of how the heck could this possibly be made? How would you even be, in, be able to find love on this? Well, our next two uh, guests could answer a little bit about this, but I also want to say before I introduce them separately, they've started something that I think is so amazing, and that's the You Can Foundation. It's a network of reality TV participants and mental health and legal expert experts dedicated to supporting cast members. Their goal is to provide cast members with resources to make informed decisions, understand the reality of productions, and seek help in a safe and supportive environment. So our guest today, Jeremy Hartwell, you might know from a little bit, a very little bit of Love is Blind mm -hmm. season two, because he did not get to the place where he had made a connection to get fully engulfed in the season itself. But then Nick Thompson, you will be more familiar with. Now, I just was listening to his podcast earlier, which I recommend, Eyes Wide Open with Nick Thompson. But they both founded this UCAN Foundation. Now, Nick, you remember, got married to Danielle Rule uh, in the show, and uh, they have since split up but remain on good terms. But uh, I'm so excited to talk to them. So that's a five-minute introduction. Nick Thompson <laughs> and Jeremy Hartwell, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having us on. It's really thanks cool so much for you. having us, Ryan. Okay, just so everybody, if we're if they're hearing the voices, Nick, you say hello. Hello. Okay, that's Nick's hello. That's Nick's <laughs> voice. And, Jer and, and what is a Jeremy voice? Uh, this would be a Jeremy voice. That's a Jeremy voice. Okay, we got yeah. that out of the way. Uh, first <laughs> off, you guys, uh, Nick especially, has been in the news. Uh, you might have just read about him a week ago because there was this Daily Mail interview, or that's where I saw it, where he came out with some startling revelations that I wasn't completely aware of that broke down that when all things were said and done, 
you guys or Nick was making less than minimum wage, like $7 and 14 cents an hour in terms of the work itself, but also that certain moments on this show, there were like really bad conditions in terms of psychological and mental abuse that some of these contestants go through and no services were provided. Is that correct, Nick? Uh, yeah, that, that is correct. Um, it's a extremely treacherous and, um, uh, takes a huge toll on your, your mental health and your physical health. Um, while you're, you're in the pods and then consequently in Mexico for a total of three weeks, um, you're being recorded 18 to 20 hours a day. You're being locked in your hotel room for days at a time, uh, being isolated without any food, without any water, um, without your ID, without your credit cards, without your passport. Uh, you're literally held prisoner um, during that time and and not allowed to really have access to anything outside of that hotel room or outside of that Love is Blind set. I was watching this amazing uh, YouTube video that you guys did or were a part of where you were explaining more about these conditions. And I think the fallacy of reality shows and maybe even so when you wanted to get on them in the first place is that, wow, this is amazing. I could find love. Also, this is pretty cool to be on a television show. Jeremy, what are those thoughts going through your head when you actually sign up to do a show like this in the first place? Yeah, I, I think that's it's pretty similar to that. And me personally, I didn't watch a lot of reality TV going into this. And one of the interesting things that actually isn't a surprise in the larger picture is most of the cast members, myself included, who made it to the show, didn't reach out, right? They found us. And for me in particular, they found me on a dating app, which I guess kind of makes sense <laughs> given the overall perspective there. But um, well, they found me on LinkedIn. So, <laughs> so you're saying the production, channels. the production company is actively searching on dating apps, LinkedIn, all of these things to find contestants. So, Jeremy, in your case, you didn't search out them. They searched out you. No, I mean, I've never had an interest on in going on reality TV, but I built up a I built up a philosophy of personal self-development, of challenging myself, of doing things that scare me and that are new and interesting. And in my mind, when someone reached out to me and offered me this opportunity, that's what it was, right? It was an ability to try something new that was so far outside of my comfort zone, right? The, the, the notion of being in front of a camera was insane to me, and um, it was terrifying. And to me, that was enough of a reason to say, yeah, I'll give this a shot. But e even then, I never really thought I would be actually cast, right? Because it, for, for me in particular, and I know this varied, my casting process was over a year long. And COVID got, in the, COVID got in the way of some of that. But what what's going through your head and what went through my head, I guess, I can't speak for other people, but it was more or less what you said. It's, okay, here's the show. Um, I'm going to just put myself out there. I will be the person I know I am. And I understand that reality TV is not literally just a camera following you around. There's going to be some edits. But as long as I portray myself in the way who I am, who I know I am, it'll be fine. And maybe I find love, maybe I won't. Um, maybe I'll make some great friends with the guys in the lounge, which actually was true. Um, it's just running through the possible scenarios. I always interpreted through a lens of good actors, like not literal actors, but like good actors on the production side who weren't actively trying to manipulate or who weren't, I, I'm not going to say deliberately trying to cause harm, but who weren't totally just negligent around the damage they caused to get the storylines they wanted, right? That 
that never entered my mind when I considered this, right? My worst case scenario was I'm off, I'm off the show early and I had some stories to tell and I had, I, I enriched my life experience. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Nick, you could probably speak a little bit more to this because Jeremy, your piece of this ended, you know, I believe like a week in or something and you didn't go get to go to the next level. It felt, of it. It felt like a month at times, but yeah. That's well, that's accurate. you guys make that point of saying <laughs> yeah. when you are desensitized to your environment, you don't have your phone. You don't have like, you know, a little time feels like a very long time when you when you aren't used to actually living in a normal like living environment. But Nick, you made it through the entire thing and we saw your journey of emotionally falling in love with somebody and then taking that out into the real world or what they perceive to be the real world. And, you know, even even watching, uh, you know, your ex at the time go through something very mentally hard and being kept, you know, for three hours away from when all of the other couples were meeting. You know, you went through a whole different uh, uh, level on top of that where I feel like your emotional aspect of it was even so much deeper the longer you stayed into that. At what moment did you realize this was getting a little a little more than what you had signed up for? So that, you know, that's a really good question. And and it is, I, you know, I've described it before as a pressure cooker, right? Every single day you're making these life altering decisions. You know, am I going to fall for someone? Am I going to get engaged to someone? Are they going to say yes? What's it going to be like when I see them for the first time? What's it going to be like separated from them after 25 minutes for a few days until you see them again? What if the physical connection isn't there? What if the um, the, uh, the look, like, what if you're not attracted to each other? Yeah. There's all these things that go on in the entire process. What if the family doesn't like me? What if the friends don't like me? How am I going to, you know, after three weeks, get back into my job and my, my normal life? And what is my family going to think of her? What are my friends going to think of her? These are all the things that you're constantly, you know, running through your mind. And it's such a go, go, go pressure cooker environment that I actually didn't realize how messed up everything really was until last year at the end of the year, because it had just, it just snowballs. It just goes on and on and on. And so, you know, I always looked back and I was like, okay, I found Danielle. So, you know, I'm going to focus on that. And I just, I I mean, I honestly feel, you know, my therapist says this too, that I repressed all of this. And I just never took time to process it. And then, you know, after my uh, divorce got leaked to TMZ, there were some negative things said about me publicly. I lost my job a few days after that. Um, You know, I was just at, I was at rock bottom at the end of last year. And I was like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. So it was, it was very, very, very long time for me to like be able to look back and be like, okay, that was messed up. That was messed up. That was messed up. Not getting support was messed up. No one from Netflix or or Kinetic, who's making millions of dollars partially off of my love story, is reaching out to me after I lose my job and get you know defamed in the media. So it's like, do they? They don't care. And th- and I had some of these thoughts before, but you know, it, it's it's like an abusive relationship. It's like after you're done filming, right? You don't hear from them until they're they're back. And they're like, okay, the show's coming out in a couple months or a month or whatever that yeah. ends up being. And then it's like they're your best friends again. And then 
They're not. You're, you, I say, you're telling me corporations are more out for themselves. <laughs> that is shocking information to find out. But no, but Nick, you you know, to your point, you were saying like all of those things of like when you're dating somebody, you're nervous to meet the family, you're nervous, you know, and then to throw cameras on top of that and then to let allow that in your head of, oh, my God, how many people are going to see this? What seems like a potential good idea? And as Jeremy said, oh, this will be an interesting experience that I can add to my experiences become something so much more different that in that moment when you are signing something you can't really imagine the road that you're about to go down and i want to point out to the audience jeremy and nick i mean these are well educated you know these people are like have had good really good jobs smart guys that uh have put themselves in this situation without knowing the scope of that and what what i love about what you're doing from this is like okay this has happened how do we improve these conditions how do we actually make people aware because uh, and Jeremy, if I'm not mistaken, it, it's not scorched earth here where we do not want reality shows to exist. We want to have better working conditions. Is that right, Jeremy? A hundred percent. And I would go even farther, Ryan. And my perspective is, again, I'll reaffirm, we're not trying to kill reality TV. We're just trying to make, we're just trying to ensure that it's produced in an ethical way that doesn't cause like permanent harm to individuals repeatedly over like thousands of individuals. And I think, you know, last estimate, 40-ish people have committed suicide after reality TV, right? There's something really bad going on. So we're not, but we're not trying to kill it. We're just trying to make it so you're not destroying people's lives. But I would go even further. We would welcome the collaboration of these production companies and these distribution companies to, to work with us towards creating a better future and a better system that incentivizes the right behaviors that protects people. And in, in fact, even before I filed the lawsuit, I didn't want to file a lawsuit. That's a pain in the ass. Um, so, sorry, I don't know. Because <laughs> you, you, no, okay no, please, say, no. It like, is you. You filed last April a lawsuit, correct? I, I did. Yeah, I think it was around June. But yeah, last last okay. summer, I filed a lawsuit around labor law, uh, labor law violations or alleging labor law violations in California. But like, I didn't want to file that. That's a that's a hassle. That's a like that's a lot for very like. If you think just monetarily, I'm not going to get much from that, most likely, right? Um, but it's it's one of those things where I tried reaching out to them into like personally, like I tried to get in contact with their lawyers. I tried to get in contact with someone because, again, I I have this experience where I've been in senior leadership roles in large corporations and I've talked to these type of individuals before. So my perspective was, hey, and I, I again, naively after this experience, I still thought that this was a mistake, right, that they that this wasn't part of the process. And so I wanted to reach out to them. And just say, hey, like I would one, I would love a formal apology because like the way you treated me in particular, my experience was terrible and it had an awful impact. But two, I just wanted them to, to like work with us, to work with me, to be like, hey, let me help you like make this a like not so destructive. Like, what can we do? And they like I'll, I'll quote their chief legal counsel um, F off is literally what he said at the end of that call when I finally got a hold of him. So I'm not sure which law book that's is, in, but that's, uh, that's, uh, wow, well, it's, it's amazing. It's, 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 really it's, a, it's a legal term of art of like, <laughs> yeah, we don't care. Yeah, it's a, yeah, um, <laughs> what um, I think but, is hilarious about that is I feel like this is Jeremy's Karen moment where he's like, I need to speak to your manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, no, I mean, it really, it truly is that moment. And it's, it's wild. And, and, and Nick, you pointed this out before 
uh, you've said, well, a lot of people online, you know, we, you know, we, everybody has their opinion. They say, Hey, you guys know what you signed up for. You, oh. you, you were just out for fame. You were just out for money. You, can you speak to that? Because I know how the internet works and it's sometimes not a positive place. You know, what is your experience <clears throat> with that? And how do you answer to those, uh, claims sometimes? You know, I, I've talked a lot about that you signed up for this. Like I signed up for a psycho psychologically based love experiment where I was going to try and fall in love with someone behind a wall. And I was going to maybe go all the way or I was maybe going to go home after a couple days. And I was fine with either of that. The other thing I signed up for was to give my phone away for three weeks. I did not sign up to not be given food and water at my discretion. I did not sign up to get locked away in a hotel room for days at a time without any ID, money, access to anything. I did not sign up to be um, sent into a room where my fiance just had a panic attack without any information and without any mental health support and told to film anyway. So I, I had I had not signed up to be, you know, um, basically on the, I don't even know how to say this. Maybe this is the part you edit out. <laughs> no, I mean, I, no, it's all, it's all completely making yeah. sense, but you're yeah. then, I think it even makes it more aware that you are in this fishbowl and like, Oh my God, what did I sign up for on top of you are falling in love or have fallen in love with this person. I mean, those are really extreme environments. Well, yeah. And that's why I say it's just one pressure cooker after another. And the funny thing is like, I'm naive. I didn't really watch a lot of reality TV. I only watched Love is Blind because they reached out to me on LinkedIn about casting. And I thought it was genuine. And I thought the people on there were by and large there for the right reasons. And what is the right reason? Right. So I guess that's a question <laughs> you can always have now. But I felt like they were there to see if that they, they could find love in that experiment. So totally, totally had very little idea of what was happening in the reality show experience. And much like Jeremy said, I just felt if I was myself, I'd be okay because I don't say or do anything out of character. And what really, what really gets me about the, you signed up for it. No, I didn't for the reasons I stated, but also you can't sign away your, your legally protected rights of being an American citizen in this case, right? Like, Defamation is illegal. We have laws about that, right? D discussing your workplace, um, that's allowed by the National Labor Relations Board, right? You're protected by, I'm sorry, the National Labor Relations Act. You're protected. With whistleblower protections. Yeah. yeah, with whistleblower protections when you're an employee. Now, they scoot around and, and have all of these ways to not declare you a worker, but that's that's the reality. I also did not sign up to film 18 to 20 hours a day. Only getting a, a a break, which you're still mic'd, so they're still collecting sound, only to get a break when the union crew that filmed this from the morning up until I think the evening, but you don't know what day it is or time it is. And then they swap them out for what we would be doing is nighttime dating for another crew because they didn't want to have to pay them the overtime. So it, it was just incredibly exploitative. And then I also didn't sign up to have complete control over everything I do, everything I talk about, everything I say for, for that, especially that three week period right there. Yeah. yeah I mean, I wanna, it, sorry, Jeremy, I want to yes. really, you know, I want to, I want to really hammer home uh, an example, like a really tangible example of that for listeners. Right. And Nick touched upon it a little bit, but we knew they were, and this is, this is the perfect example and it, because it, it, it's an archetype for everything they did to us. Right. It's, 
we knew our phones would be taken away. That was communicated to us, right? We signed up for that. Yes. The answer to that is yes. When they came around to take away our phones, they also took our IDs. They are our passports, our wallets, our credit cards, like every form. You're of criminals. And, You're criminals. Yeah. So, but, but, but here we, th there was never an indication that was going to happen. Right. And so like there is, th that was never communicated to us. And then they did it. And by the time it was happened, it was too late. Like imagine if Nick or I had run out of that, like uh, that set when that happened and said, hey, police, I'm being kidnapped by a reality TV company. I don't have any ID or any currency, but trust me, um, it's it's insane. And I think like listeners, like really, really think about that for a second when you when the notion of they signed up for across your mind, just think of that one example, which is tangible. There's no there's no like gray area there. But then extrapolate that out to everything, because that's exactly how it worked. The, the stuff we signed up for made up about five to 10 percent of the stuff that actually happened. Right. No, can, everything can you else that. Sorry, no, I mean, this is just, can, can you speak to the, like the crew itself watching you go through these, Jeremy, in your first week and Nick the entire time, are they like sheepish? Are they like, sorry, I know, I know. I mean, are they like very uh, stern with you? I'm trying to imagine and have the audience imagine like what are, because I'm sure you're going to them with these complaints or as you're learning to be able to speak up for yourself, what is their reactions as you're saying like, are you kidding me? Because Nick said he had to get water out of the sink in the hotel room because they didn't provide water. Yeah, so that that's a there there's it's a mix of all of that. So there's like the subtle <clears throat> things that are are sort of planted in your brain before you get there. Like if you leave without a producer's permission, you are subject to 50k in damages. So there's things like that that are kind of planted in your head. <clears throat> you're told um, you can't tell anyone, right? So like you're just put in this situation where like you can't tell you you're not supposed to tell your friends, your family that you're in the casting process, everything's super secretive. So it's kind of like you're you're already sort of self-censoring by the time you get there that you you just kind of continue to do that. And sure, it'd be like, "Oh yeah, no problem. I'll get you some water. Water never comes." Oh, sure, like you you know, you're I'm gluten-free. They knew all this impossible to provide me any any food that I could eat for a lot of that time. Um, so it was, you know, things like that where they just kind of subtly do it or they say, yes, yeah, sure. Or, um, you know, after this, you'll be able to do this and stuff like that. And it's just not really always true. In fact, it's probably true maybe 10% of the time. I will say too, the executive producer came in Mexico and she apologized to, I can't even remember if it was, I think it was everyone when we were all together at some point and they apologized for the the complaints that we had made about not being able to get food and water especially when we were in the hotels um when when it was the morning or when we were isolating for whatever reasons that they had us stay in there for days at a time um and they apologized like oh we're not that kind of production we're not that kind of um you know show and you know this is just a slip up and this is a blip in the radar and we're so sorry and it's like Okay, so then you you hear that and you're like, okay, so people have other things to do than get me water. Okay, I get that. You know, so you just you just kind of like get yourself you in along. that mindset. Yeah, and I do think I don't think it's all nefarious. I'm sure there are times where someone forgot that you know the 50 things they were doing that someone had asked for water. But I definitely have heard horror stories from other producers um, on these shows that say things like I had to intercept um, people's water or beverage requests with alcohol. Or there was uh, 
a uh, associate producer that was on Danielle and my team, and she ended up quitting because of partially because of how they were treating us, and partially because of um, you know some some racism, <laughs> I guess, in uh, within the situation. So it's just to me, it's just like this is a systemic issue. And then I've talked to 40, 50 reality cast members across the board, cooking shows, dating shows, love is blind, bachelor, bachelorette, all of it. And they all have the same stories. So it it is a systemic issue. Yeah, That's what I was going to say is that I'm sure you guys have heard so many more stories now that you've started this, but also I know you can speak to only your experiences, but even on set, were there whispers between the other cast members of like, what's going on here? Like, this is a little weird on all of our accounts, or was it kind of like, we're mic'd up. We cannot talk in this moment at all. So I, we I, I want to bring up some of those conversations too. There's even a scene in the more perfect union video from love is blind where Kyle is making a joke that there's three blueberries and we're all going to have to fight for them. So that was, that was kind of the, the subtlety of the comments. And I know when we were back at the hotel, I actually room next to Kyle and Sal, um, but we were terrified to even go in the hallway and talk to each other. Cause you're not supposed to, cause they want to get it all on camera. And I remember we would sit out there and talk about how this is like kind of messed up. But again, you just you just don't know you're in the abusive relationship until you're out of the abusive relationship. Yeah. And yeah, Jeremy, and I, what were you about to say? I was going to say, I want to bring that up to a bit of a higher level um, from a psychology standpoint. And they definitely employed uh, like tactics that could be taken straight out of the Milgram experiment, the Stanford prison experiment, where it was very heavy authoritarianism. And I think especially at the beginning, the orientation, when they took our phones and our wallets, that was like my experience looking back on that, that felt almost fascist to me in the, in the way that they like, like created that environment of like, don't talk to each other, shut up, like just very terse conversations. And we're telling you what to do and you have to do it or else. Right. And there was even uh, our, our cast wrangler um, who was like an outside contractor, I guess he was a big imposing guy who constantly talked about how he was an ex UFC fighter. He runs a UFC gym and he would, he would every single chance he got, he would tell stories about how he had to physically choke out cast members who get out of line. And, and, and he hopes he doesn't have to do that with us. Like I am not exaggerating. Right. Um, but then, but then as Nick said, there's like, there's the good cop thing where like someone will, someone will come in and be like, Oh, we're so sorry. Like we don't, you know, we're just super busy. Like we don't need to do this. Um, and like, you don't oh, know how gonna... TV's made. You've never no, been no. on a TV Brand show. New. So this could be completely normal for every set for and all you know at that time. You know, it's, but it's psychology too. Like you're, you're in the middle of this. You don't know what to do. Um, you're going along with the group think you're, 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 your buttons are being pushed to be malleable and just go along with it and not question it. And you also don't feel like you have a choice, right? So what are you going to do? Are you going to complain about it or are you just going to like soldier on? Um, and it's, yeah. there's it's also this, at- this, hold on, just cause I don't want to get off that. Yeah, there's yeah, also yeah, this okay. whole thing. I think Jeremy, you would even agree to this, that there's this whole, we're doing you a favor yeah. vibe. We're going to help you find love. We're going to help you make X amount of dollars. We're going to help you get all this exposure. And it's like, you can't sell you're me. part of the Netflix family now. You're, that's my favorite. You're part of the Netflix family. <laughs> and I never, never heard from them after my divorce. So 
Well, I mean, guys, this is this is, and I just want to point out kinetic content, you guys, just so this isn't their first like trip into the rodeo here with Love is Blind. They do Married at First Sight, they do the Ultimatum, they do Perfect Match, Claim to Fame, Love Without Borders. I mean, they are just littered with reality shows. So they this is not their first show that they've been a part of. They've they're a very successful production company that that should have a way of operating, which I think this is I mean, I love the meta look at this of the reality behind the reality. The other thing that I wanted to introduce to you guys and get your opinions on is that a lot of reality show viewers will watch this and, you know, a lot of us just take it, whatever we see as fact. And a lot of us then will kind of think, okay, why are they doing these shows? Especially with The Bachelor, I've noticed, you know, through the seasons where it's like, okay, are they on here for love or are they on here because they want the Instagram followers? And you see that. And then, like you said, the Netflix family, I remember the first season of Love is Blind. There was a bunch of cast members that I think got thrown into other shows of Netflix's and they made like, they were at Craig's trying to get photographed on TMZ. And it was like, oh, I think they want the stardom of this. Are you guys, is that part of not the allure, but is that part of the promises too, when they're talking about, oh, Oh, you'll make a lot of money on Instagram, you guys. You'll make a lot of money at this. Is that a part of this conversation when they're trying to get you to do these shows? It is. It's very subtle. Um, but I will say, I think what happened it, with Love is Blind, and it happens with any show, right? The more popular it gets, the more people that watch it, the more eyes it attracts of people who who maybe want to clout chase. Um, or who, who want that fame. And, and, you know, that's totally fine. I think people, you know, you can do what you want to do, make the decision you want to make, but I think you should be transparent in a show like Love is Blind. But there were conversations going on uh, in the pods where it was, oh, I've got to lock someone down because I got to get to Mexico. The yes. You get yeah. Money. That, those kind of conversations were happening on season two. And I think that's because the first season just exploded in popularity having come out right around the time everyone got locked down from the pandemic. Yeah. So I, I, I would imagine, I, I don't know. I've spoken to a few people from the, the last couple seasons, um, but I, I would imagine that's only growing. And there was literally someone I spoke to in North Carolina who was filming um, a few months ago when they were doing Love is Blind North Carolina and literally was like, I don't have any interest in getting married. I'm just kind of going on to see what, what this is like. And it's like, and that's what I tell people when they ask, because I will talk to people as they're going through the casting process and give um, just my experience. I don't tell them what to do. It's not my place. But, you know, I say, I'm like, imagine if you go there for, you know, your right reasons, which is I want to find love and see if this works. And then you get all the way to the altar with someone pretending that that's what they want for clout. And then they say no to you and you're left there all alone on global television in your wedding dress, devastated. Or what if they say yes and you're married to someone who's saying yes because they think that's going to be better for their brand or their image? And I'm like, do I think that 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 nefarious of thoughts going into it? I have no idea. But does it sound completely impossible? I don't think so. So I think you've really got to evaluate not just why you're going on there, but why other people would be going on there because you just don't know anymore. Yeah. We've seen this happen time and time again, and I know you don't watch a lot of reality television, you guys, but I feel like even with Housewives, it's become more, it used to be almost a documentarian view of ladies or this or that, and now it's turned into everything Survivor. It's like, how do I get to the end? How everything is some sort of competition-based, and I know Love is Blind is different because it is this psychological experiment, but everything seems to be, you know, the viewer almost questions now everybody's desires to be on this because of fame, but I love love the message also you guys are like hey man this is the fame 
This is the like, this is it. Like Nick, you, in your interview, you said, you know, sometimes you feel like you might even be unemployable at this time, that it is hard for you to even get work, which, which shocks me. I mean, have you guys, and I didn't even get a bad edit. I I feel like I loved you. Like I loved your story. I like my heart was, I, you were one of the people that kept me in it. Like that, that made me believe that like, Oh, that very often. Thank you. Well, no, no, I was like, Oh, this, I don't know. There's something about that. I think the camera can pick up some sort of like eternal truth behind your eyes. And I was like, this guy, I think really is in this. And I thought she was really in this. And so uh, you, those are the things that keep me on these shows are people that are actually showing their reality. So I believe that, but you guys have both experienced, like when you go out there in the real world now, is it, is it sort of your, your, you're meant to feel shamed about this? Um, so from my perspective, and you know, I, I've said my piece that that whole difficulty getting work thing was one line in a 30 minute interview that just the media used. To, <laughs> it's a to good go line. Absolutely it's crazy. Good line. And then, <clears throat> and then, you know, my name, like, I mean, just becoming making all the issues that I'm trying to bring to light to help other people, and they make it about me to polarize people. And then, you know, half of the people feel, you know. Um, you know, empathy or sympathy or compassion towards me. And then the other half are like, go get a construction job. Like, <laughs> do you want me, like, do you want me to build your house? I've never built anything construction. <laughs> That's not my skill set. That's not my expertise. Like I'm a marketing executive in software. That's what I've, you know, my whole career progression has been that. So, you know, it's just like you have that stuff. And so it, it does, it makes it difficult, um, you know, when, when people know. Or I have been told, which people seem to know my experience better than me, but I've been told like, hey, like we like you, you have the skill set, you have the experience, the headlines make us nervous, we're too small to risk it, you know, and and if, you know, another bad headline comes out or, you know, you get smeared in the media or, you know, somebody um, misrepresents you or whatever that is, like they don't want to risk their company. And, and again, part of my role in marketing, product marketing, is being the face of, of these software companies to analysts, to customers, to uh, evangelize the, the offering. So it's not like I can just go sit in an office with that type of role and then never have to see or talk to anyone and just kind of retreat, which would be lovely if I could do that. But um, you know, with my expertise, like I have to do interviews, I have to go uh, speak with analysts, I talk to customers, I have to train the sales reps, like all of that stuff comes from, from me and my my uh, department. So it isn't, it isn't as easy as, as just going back to, you know, an office job or, um, you know, uh, other, any other working class job uh, where you're not in the public eye. Well, I'm glad to be able that you're here and to be able to have a longer conversation where we can demystify some of these things. Um, Jeremy, how did you guys, I know you met obviously on Love is Blind, but how did you start the conversation of what if we joined forces and started you can like how does this happen um it uh it happened with me mentioning it at nick's birthday party last year and him telling me good luck have fun with that um but <laughs> it's happy birthday know, yeah 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 um i believe but, i told you i was thinking about this I, I think i believe i told you they will crush you before you even get off the ground <laughs> <laughs> or something um, to that extent yeah and i think it's a really good question ryan um and i want to tie it back to the the previous question you asked about how it's impacted work and i think there's a different perspective there because nobody recognizes me in the street right very few people realize i'm associated with love is blind as a cast member but um it affected my work in a different way in that it just totally the experience and i had a particularly intense 
sharp um, traumatic event uh, very quickly, ramped up very quickly, right? So where a lot of people, the trauma built up slowly over six weeks, they, you know, I experienced a, what I, my opinion is it was manufactured and manipulated to do this, but it was an extremely traumatic event in a very short amount of time that caused, um, my therapist literally said it put me in a, um, basically a, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind of like comatose state. Uh, a few, a fugue state. A fugue state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and but what that did to me is after you know after I recovered from that, it took four days of being back at home to not feel like a total zombie again. But um, it changed my entire personality because I had to, I had to, I had to reconcile the fact that like I was so easily manipulated and so easily pushed into things against my will and against my own best interest. And we tend to think of ourselves as having free will autonomy. We can generally direct our own like thoughts and actions. And then realizing that that was not the case, it threw my entire worldview into um, like just, just out the window. And so I had to re reassess who I actually was, what I was doing and it. It absolutely affected my job performance. And um, I, you know, I had a great job at the time. I was a, director at strategy at a mortgage company reporting directly to the C-suite and I had a good reputation there. Um, and I was continuing that work, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like I wasn't, I found, I totally lost my motivation for it. And it's, I, I left on my own accord. Right. Um, but for better or for worse, this experience changed me entirely. And it, I could not get the need to have justice and the need to change this industry for the better out of my, out of, out of my being anymore. And so it absolutely impacted my ability to work on anything else. Um, and it was absolutely a result of what happened to me. I think, you know, you could frame that in a positive or a negative way, but even, even without the, and people, people will, need don't to worry, <laughs> people need to realize, um, for every one reality TV member, you know, like Nick, there are dozens, if not more that you've never heard of. And they've gone through the same experience and they come out of this with basically nothing and it affects them, but the trauma affects them in the same way. So we're here for everybody. And, you know, that sort of a lead in is now, I mean, this is, this is, this is who I am is, is this fight. Right. And so it's this fight to change the industry and this fight to support cast members and this fight to do the right thing. It's just embedded in my DNA now. And, you know, it, I was just brainstorming, trying to figure out what's the best way to approach this, because, it, you know, in the end, with my with my background, the way I look at it is right now, it's more profitable for these companies to produce things in an unethical way than an ethical way. Now is the time for my favorite part of the show when I get to talk about our sponsor. And once again, we are sponsored by our friends over at Factor, which is America's number one ready to eat meal kit. Now, if you listen to the show, I've talked about this before, but we are unfortunately nearing the end of summer. Things are going to get crazier. You got to take care of what you eat. You need things that are good, things that are healthy and things that are easy to prepare. So you're not running around. And then if you're not doing that, you're spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars ordering in crap that's not good for you. Factor is not like that. So with this busy fall season, you got to look for those wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. And that's where Factor comes in. It can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You're going to save time, you're going to eat well, and you're going to stay on track with that healthy lifestyle. 
I've had this so many times now. I've had it a lot over at my parents and we all love it. And it is so, it's like, it is delicious. It is less than two minutes. Yeah, that sounds crazy, but it is not. Two minutes, delicious. It is filling. It is more filling than you would think it would be. Because believe me, I'm always like, I want I want quantity over quality. And it is all of that. So uh, everybody's going to be busy with the summer ending. And you want to skip that extra trip to the grocery store and all the chopping, prepping, the cleaning up. But you still want to get that flavor and the nutritional quality you need. So Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are, like I said, ready in just two minutes. And you can refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat because you can choose from 34 plus weekly flavored plaque flavor-packed, dietitian-approved meals. Um, you can also level up with gourmet plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. You can treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. And if you're too busy running around during the day to think about lunch, you can keep your energy up with lunch to go, which are effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls, salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go that do not require a microwave at all. Um, looking for the calorie conscious options ahead of the busy season, you can try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Now, if you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best, try protein plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Also, you can round out your meals and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45 plus add-ons, including breakfast items like their delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, their bacon and cheddar egg bites, their potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet, or for an easy wellness boost, try their refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. So with Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions. They source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and they feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. So this August and moving onwards, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. So here we go. Head to factormeals.com slash so bad five zero, so bad fifty, and use that code so bad fifty to get fifty percent off. That's code so bad fifty at factor meals. That's F A C T O R M E A L S dot com slash so bad fifty to get fifty percent off. And now back for the remaining portion of our show. Right. At the most reductionist sense from from the lens of the economy we live in, that's that's what it is. Right. So we need to find a way to flip that equation. And there's a lot of different levers you can pull to do that. So it's like, okay, how do we get access to those levers? How do we build a foundation to get there? And it sort of struck me that a nonprofit might be a really good way to go about that for a number of reasons. And so that's when the it, it was after I filed the lawsuit, that this idea started germinating in my head. And that's when I told Nick about it. Um, and again, he was he was reluctant at first um, for very it good reasons. It was his reasons. birthday. It was his birthday. Come on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, you know, we we wound up here and he ended up, um, you know, going all in. We wouldn't be here without him. So, 
Uh, and just so you guys know, uh, uh, you can have an unscripted cast advocacy network. And what really struck me when I started researching this was that, you know, you guys are the executive directors um, of this, but then you have a mental health support director, Dr. Isabel Morley. And I love the emphasis you are. I'm such a big proponent of mental health and not to shy away from that, even in your life, away from cameras or even on cameras. And and Nick, you were speaking about this, you know, just in terms of, of your ex you know, is that when you're going through these highly emotional on camera, you know, when your heart is involved, there should be an industry professional, a mental health industry a professional on hand at all times. I mean, I think that's just a no brainer. Um, and it's it's something that I think could easily be fixed. And I don't think it takes away a lot from the show. I know they want to put you guys in pressure cookers and I know that's very entertaining, but we also, I think the audience isn't heartless in the sense that we want people at the end of the day to be all right. Like we, I mean, I, I don't want anybody. I'm not so sure. Lives. Yeah. Well, not, yeah. I mean, I personally, not Nick, I don't want Nick to be all right, but I want, no, no, but I know what you're saying. Like it is kind of a WWE world wrestling kind of environment, but at the same time, that is something that I think is such an easy fix. It's like, well, why shouldn't there be industry professionals on hand, especially if you are doing a psychological experiment, psychological implies that you would have industry professionals on hand as part of your experiment. Isn't, wouldn't that be the case? I, I agree completely. And first of all, the, the WWE reference I think is great because I actually recorded a reel. I got to post this one of these days where I'm actually comparing uh, reality TV <clears throat> to, um, to WWE where yeah. WWE, you, you know, it's, it's loosely scripted. People are kind of amplified versions of themselves. The outcome's predetermined, but it's not a sport. So you can't bet on it, for example. At least I know they're lobbying. For not that, yet. So not change. yet. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you think of it in the same way, that's why it's WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. So maybe it's like instead of reality TV, it's like reality entertainment. Think of it that way. Like you're seeing a dramatized version of what is real. And people are in manufactured situations that, you know, I, you know, I think back because I had I had a whole like session with my therapist about why people from the show were like rent free in my brain. And, um, you know, I realized like I had such a nice close knit group of friends that like being sort of in a situation with people that I may not be friends with in real life, but have to constantly interact with, um, you know, where you would put up a boundary and say, no, I'm not going to be friends with that person. I'm only going to be acquaintances with that person or whatever. Um, you know, you're forced sort of in that. Um, but to, to come back to that, I believe that we do need a mental health professional. Um, I believe we need them to be independent of the production company, even if the production company has to pay for it. Um, and the way I think of this, and I've explained this you know, a few times, and I hope it makes sense, but you have the NFL, right? They recently, in, in the last agreement, have an independent neurologist on each team. For, for that, CTE, for, yeah. Yes, for concussion evaluation. Because if it's the Super Bowl and you've got Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback <clears throat> and he gets a concussion and it's the Super Bowl and the team doctors and coaches are like, well, we really want to win the Super Bowl. Like, he's fine, right? But an independent neurologist now has to clear him to say he's okay to go play. He does not have a concussion. And that's kind of how I'm, I'm viewing this. We need independent mental health professionals on set that have the power to say, hey, you know, Nick's done filming today or Nick, it needs to do X, Y, Z before he's going to be filming again. And I think that kind of thing would just help um, instantly with people's mental health and, and feeling like they had someone there that they could trust that actually had their best interest at heart.
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems uh, at times like a, a no-brainer on this 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 count. Um, I I am shocked, and and you're just just to clarify too. You had mentioned this, but both of you guys, after you're done filming, at no point are you being reached out to of like, how are you? How are you mentally? Uh, we do provide six sessions with like a better help therapist. There there was none none of this conversation happening because they had already filmed one season and they yeah. see how this can actually go. Was there, there was no conversation. So they, they claim in the contract and I forget how much it is. I, I think they will pay for therapy up to $5,000. I think, well, I think that's it's, what it's, it was. It's couples therapy so, though. Like I don't, I don't think they were right. offering any individual therapy. So only oh, for right, the married, right. only, only totally. for the married couples. And I think it was only if you were, if you were having difficulties in contemplating divorce, like there were all these conditions around it. And I, I was asking for it because we couldn't, it wasn't, we couldn't afford it. We didn't, we couldn't find one that was open to, to taking new clients or new couples. So we were just like, I don't care about the money. Help us find someone that has time for us and nothing. It all fell on deaf ears. What they do have is they have a mental health professional that does do quote check-ins um, throughout this process, but it's a phone call and it is so clearly checking a box. It got to the point where I know, you know, I was just like, I'm fine. Um, or, or the one time I said, I'm not, my relationship is in, in trouble and we can't find help. And they're like, okay, well, you know, let us know if you need anything. And it's like, <laughs> okay, cool. Wow. You know, so it, it is just, it's just a hostile ancient labor practices. It's, I mean, it just reminds me of like child labor where children are being worked to death and people are just being exploited for excessive amounts of money at the expense of their own mental and emotional wellness. And what well, if they true, if they truly wanted you a part of the Netflix or the kinetic family, they would make sure you are at your best working condition. So you could actually keep being a part of the family and be able to be on other shows. And we want you at your best, but I know sometimes that's not the reality of reality shows is that sometimes they want to highlight the biggest mess. And sometimes, it, you know, so many conversations come up because of this. And I think it's fascinating. And just to be honest with you guys, uh, I've been talking about Bethany Frankel a lot because uh, she has been really out there lately. And I have to say, sometimes it's not that I'm in disagreements, but sometimes I think it's so important the person that is actually speaking for these people. And sometimes, uh, just to be honest, I've not, you know, just knowing Bethany from reality television itself, you don't sometimes get like the purest. Um, I'm like, oh, I don't really know if she's working from this really place of concern for everybody. And it feels like sometimes just scorched earth and anger. Um, but also it comes from a financial aspect. Can you guys speak to financial aspect in terms of what you guys would like to see? And, you know, is that your primary focus is the mental health, but also money does have to be a concern for this. If Nick, you're saying you're making less than a minimum wage once the day is done. Yeah, so I <clears throat> I think the um, work that Bethany has done and highlighting the fact that reality cast members are the redheaded stepchild, Hollywood doesn't take us seriously. People can stream our content; we're given no residuals. The message that she's bringing—that's all part of it, but that's not all of it. And so I think um, you know I, I think her voice is really important. I'm not going to question her intentions. That's not my place to do. Um, I just think that if we are if we are going to get a collective bargaining, whether that's through legislation, whether that's through unionizing, whether that's through 
um, you know, negotiating change through a strike, however this looks, I think it's very important that we all do this together. There is no use in us having a bunch of different things that pop up that yeah. try to get something done. When we have the UCAN Foundation, we're already taking steps to, um, to, to legally take stands, obviously, through the lawsuits and then some other things that are going on behind the scenes I can't speak about right now. But we've been working with SAG. We've been talking with the Teamsters. We've had these important meetings, and they're the ones that know how to get something like this done. So, I so think you're working with Screen Actors Guild, you're saying. You're working with, I mean, these, and by the way, just uh, I'm going to have this on the show notes, youcanfoundation.org. You can find more information about all of this. It's a really great website to poke around. But you're saying you are actually going in there and trying to work with these unions and Teamsters and things like that, which I think is just such a positive step. Absolutely. And I think that's the, so I, you know, I, I've been, I've worked in politics since 2008, like every presidential election. I'm so, I'm so sorry, Nick. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. It's a, it's a tiresome game, but I, I can't help myself. Wait, are you telling me reality is worse than politics? Is that what you're telling me, Nick? Yeah. Well, it might be. I, you know, I've never are, been in a are, are they any I, different though? <laughs> right. It's all politics. Yeah. It's yeah. all campaigns. That's, yeah. One takeaway I will say is I've noticed the entertainment media is not that different and operational um, from the, the mainstream media. So it's yeah. like, yeah, the it's just like, bites. here's the line, toe the line. Yeah. yeah. Here's the propaganda. Here's the clickbait. Um, so I do. Yeah. So there is a lot of, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, but what I, I feel people need to sort of come to terms with is you can have 20 million people. You can have 20,000 people. If you were on an unscripted show, we are all in this together. Maybe you figured out how to grow your following. Maybe you were on a more popular show. Maybe, maybe you monetize whatever that is. And that's great. Good for you. But that doesn't happen for everyone. There there's not, you know, no lack of effort. So what I think needs to happen is we all need to coalesce and come together and make it about the collective unscripted casts and not make it about a single person. If you're a wine lover like me, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks. It's called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, I get to discover new wines I'm guaranteed to enjoy. That's because First Leaf gets to know your unique preferences. To start, all you have to do is answer a few quick questions on their website about what flavors that I like, how often I drink wine, and if I prefer red or white or rosé or a combination. Now, based on my answers, First Leaf curated an amazing selection of wines just for me. And when I rate those wines, my wine selection gets even more tailored. You guys, I have to tell you, I got a free shipment with them, but I kept my membership going because I liked it so much. I swear to God, I got this great Sangiovese. I got a Malbec. Uh, I did get a rosé as well because I have a combination and I am loving it. Best of all, I get to choose when I want my box delivered and how often I get new assortments of wine. Being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has its perks. As a member, I get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. Plus, I get member-exclusive pricing on every order, so you can continue to order the ones that you love. So, join the club today with me and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash so good to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash so good. Tryfirstleaf.com slash so good. Elevating my style used to mean breaking the bank, but with Quince, I get high-end, versatile pieces 
at prices I can actually afford. Now I can upgrade my style by snagging killer luxury essentials that sync with my vibe and my wallet. You guys know I've got a blue linen blazer. Now I have a black leather jacket and I have my eye on this Italian suede trucker jacket. I think that's going to be my next purchase. So Quince creates timeless essentials that never go out of style. You're going to have them in your closet forever. Quince has all the must-haves, like Mongolian cashmere crew neck sweaters from $50, iconic 100% leather jackets, and versatile flow-knit activewear. With all Quince items, everything is priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. How do you not love that? So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping and 365-day returns on your order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS weird Lord of the Fly style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Unsurprisingly, it all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. And I think that's where we're going to actually get things done. And we're going to get real change in the industry that benefits Everyone. And then the people that are on more shows, the people that have a bigger following, they're going to continue to make more money. They're going to continue to have their successes. But we're going to do it for the people who are entering into a love is blind or a married at first sight and have no idea what they're signing up for and making sure that they're not exploited, making sure they're treated properly. And then, of course, as Bethany talks about all the time, making sure that you're paid. I mean, people can stream love is blind season two and watch me in my relationship every all day, every day, if they want to. And, you know, this was the whole conversation about, you know, uh, the job situation. It's like, they're making money on that. There's more seasons partially because of my season. So, you know, do I know what that looks like? No, that's not for me. That, that's not for me to, to determine or say that would be for the collective. But I think we all just have to come together and do this together because we have the power. If it's all of us, if it's one of us, you may get a squeaky wheel here or there, but we're not going to have the organizing power. Yeah. And, and I, I think to add to that, um, Bethany's been putting out some great stuff and she's brought a lot of amazing publicity. Like she's because of her platform, she's been able to bring attention to this in a way that we cannot. Right. And so we're we, we very much want, as Nick said, we very much want to work with her on this. And yeah, we're have not you guys even reached saying, out or has she reached out to you? Yeah, we're, we're there's been some initial discussions, but like I think the bottom line is we we're not even saying you like it has to be you can right we're focused on the cause and we're focused on the mission and we're focused on the result obviously nick and i both believe you can is the best way to do this because we've put 
you know, I've put over a year of like thought into this behind this, right? Like we started up in April, but like the machinations and the strategic roadmap in a five-year, like all, like I've been planning this stuff for a very long time. Like it's not just a spur of the moment kind of thing that came out. So like there's a lot of strategy behind what's going on in the background here, but ultimately like I want the focus to, I don't even want the focus to be on you can necessarily, if, if, if it's not the right place, I want it to be on the cause and on the cast members and on the exploitation and on the outcomes. And, you know, I, I think I, it's, I really think Bethany is probably trying to do the same thing, but her platform necessarily focuses attention on her. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to her, like, again, continuing to promote this cause on her platform. Right. And not just, not, not just any specific individual needs. Just don't eat like a seafood crab boil while you're talking about this cause. That's sometimes where Bethany, she was, yeah, anyway, uh, just joking. Um, so th that's all amazing. Um, as we start winding down here a little bit, uh, this has just been so fascinating. What are the next steps? I mean, cause I know, you know, you're out there talking to people, you're here, you're, you know, like, I think this is so good to get the word out. And I want to, once again, all the listeners, this isn't scorched earth. They're not trying to end reality television, but I do want to point out to the audience, just as an example, love is blind season two, they were going to do its first live streaming event for Netflix. And it, 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 it they couldn't do it. I mean, it was so many people trying to watch this one event that it had to be, you know, it had to be postponed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I just think that shows you the popularity. And with streaming, you guys, it's different than traditional old like TV media. It's like streaming is a whole different wild, wild west. They do not release streaming numbers. A lot of the times yeah. they do it no, very strategically. And speaking as a Screen Actors Guild member that has worked in TV and film, you know, we're striking right now. The Writers Guild is striking but there's no contracts put in place for streaming. There, there just isn't yeah. from an actor, from a reality show person. There are no contracts. And that is what part of this that we're all fighting for together. But I just yeah. want to point out, like, these shows are wildly popular. Well, let me let me put some numbers Ooh. around that, actually. Yeah. So, like, and this, this is my calculations, right? But it's based on methodology produced by Netflix, too. So they they... They published their revenue allocation for Squid Games, right? So they said, Squid yeah. Games, we, we're allocating X amount of revenue to Squid Games viewership, right? And they also published the hours of viewership for Squid Games, right? So if you use that as an assumption, you can back into the revenue allocation for any show that has published viewer hours, right? And that's obviously assuming that it's it's a it's a linear relationship there, right? That they're not somehow allocating they, things differently <clears throat> for Squid Games versus Love Is Blind, right? So and they actually just there. released is, the numbers for Love Is Blind a week or but, so ago too. It's the most the, watched show. But yeah, you can you can allocate revenue and based based upon those assumptions, based upon my calculations. This is all again based upon the revenue allocation they did for Squid Games, the viewing hours. If you look at the viewing hours for the seasons of Love Is Blind. Each season, based upon those, again, based upon the sum, I want to be very clear, um, based upon those assumptions, each season, Netflix is allocating about $90 million in revenue each season. Um, and, and so, it, like, it goes into your point. I believe we are fully, like, this cause is fully aligned with SGA and with the writer's strike and with the, the broader issue in corporate America as well, I think, is it's just the allocation of wealth and as 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 people involved in the production of a product or a service, how does that wealth get allocated? And it's it's not in it's not the right allocation right now. And that's why there's so many strikes happening. And the way I look at it is there's this delineation between 
unscripted versus scripted, right? Which has allowed this schism to occur. It's totally artificial. And it was created solely so that they could take advantage of producing new content during a writer's strike or during a screen act, you know, during a SAG strike back in what, like the, it was when the eighties, I think, or the nineties and then the early That's what started, it really started the boom but of they, reality. But they created this, like that label, it's semantic, it's artificial. It's sole intention is to avoid these kind of unions. Like it's time to like get rid of that label. We're no, like, there's no difference. It's all entertainment, right? This whole unscripted scripted, like the semantical, like, dancing they do to get around like paying people correctly or following labor laws like it's got to end and so you know you can is in complete solidarity with the writer strikes and the and the sag strikes right now um and we're in full support of that i'm in full support of that i know nick is and we we'd like to see unity not just with unscripted television but across the entire entertainment industry because in the end also we're, our incentives are aligned, if you think of it mechanically <laughs> or, or just purely objectively in the sense of the more reality TV content that can happen during a strike, the less leverage the strikers have, right? So if, if there's alignment along those lines, all of a sudden you start, you start bringing that leverage back to your cause and to your point. And so, I, you know, it's, it's not just the Bethany Frankels that we want to be organized with. It's, it's everybody in entertainment. We're all in the same boat. Well, I mean, this yeah, is, and I just, I just want to add, I, I looked this up. <clears throat> so this, this is from a couple of weeks ago. So love is blind. And this is just because they released streaming, right? So love is blind has spent, let me find that real quick, has spent 131 days in the U.S. top 10 over the last 18 months, which is more than any other original show. Um, Nielsen notes that 2022 closed out with 13.1 billion minutes viewed, more than any other unscripted series on any platform, digital or linear. More people are watching Love is Blind than any other reality show. Yeah, so you guys think about Bravo, you think about TLC, you think about all this. Netflix puts all that to, to shame. I mean, people don't realize what a juggernaut these streaming shows really are because, you know, it, it's it's truly, truly wild. So I think this conversation is so important to be had. And this is, I want, I want to be talking about your experiences on reality television. I mean, like, <laughs> listen, we want this to be all worked out so we can get back to talking about the things that we love and the interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Um, you guys, I couldn't thank you enough for your time today. And I wish I could keep talking to you forever, um, even though I'm sure that would be horrible for you. Um, <laughs> Real quick though, uh, just just really quick, uh, Nick though, and I'm not uh, like, uh, you know, has this a this has got to affected how you date in the future too, and for both of you guys essentially. I mean, is it very hard for you at this point? Because I mean, we saw your journey, and Jeremy, we didn't get to see nearly enough of yours. But I mean, how? I mean, psychologically, that's got to mess that up too. I, I am not dating at all. It's it's like not even in my my Purview, line yeah. of sight at this point. It's you know I'm I'm busting my butt uh, with this organization. I'm trying to uh, get the word out. I'm trying to organize. I'm trying to find a job. There's like a lot of things going on there. Um, yeah, dating just isn't really something that is is on the immediate front for me. Yeah, I would I would figure not. Uh, but I but can't I even to, uh, imagine thinking. About yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, if you're trying to eternal sunshine the whole experience, but it was just uh, it still was such a great My favorite movie. 
Um, right, one of my, I mean, just such a beautiful movie. Uh, but I always think about that in terms of love on reality shows of how that actually mentally affects somebody because you're mentally affected in real life. And then you throw all of our opinions onto it. Like you, Nick, you heard everything from all of us about your relationship. And I can't imagine oh, yeah. what that would ever be like. And uh, I want to point out Nick Thompson's podcast, Eyes Wide Open with Nick Thompson is great. So many good guests. Go check that out. What do we always do for people that like actually are nice enough to come on? We go hit five stars immediately on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's amazing. And then how do we support you, Can? How do we how do we keep in the know for what's going on for you guys? Yeah, that's a, a thanks. Thanks so much for asking. So I think the most important thing right now is just spreading the word, like follow us on our Instagram account, you can foundation, um, go to our website. And also very importantly, um, you know, we're a nonprofit and survive off of charitable donations right now. And, you know, the donations go towards like real meaningful product and support for the cast members and for the, you know, the strategies we talked about, about public education and industry change. A really good example is we're working with a law firm right now who's drafting a legal memo that's going to be a backstop to cast members to tell them, hey, here are your here's how to interpret a contract. Here, here are your rights going into a contract. Here's what here's what's not legally enforceable. Here's what's available to you if they threaten you after the fact. Right. So, you know, we're we're, we're paying a law firm to develop that for us to provide to cast members. Right. That's one tangible example. Um, and then we we want a just a resource book broader than that for cast members. So all of this stuff costs money. But on top of that, you know, it's the it's the the website and the domain, right? Like there's and so there's costs. The, cost incurred. There's costs, right? Even for a nonprofit. And so the, what I like to say is if if just like one percent of people who viewed reality TV pledged to match their Netflix subscription cost each month to the UCAN Foundation, we could solve this in six months. Right. Well, just, Jeremy, just... they keep raising our Netflix subscription. So, I mean, <laughs> all right. They... Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to cap, we're going to cap <laughs> yeah, ours exactly. at $15. Right. No... <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but it's, it doesn't take much. Right. But it does take, it does take a lot of people. And, and also we're all on board. Nick Lachey and Vanessa has to go, right? That's the one thing we can all agree. I'm joking. I I'm feel joking. so bad. I like Nick. <laughs> Nick and Vanessa were very kind and, I and think... I like to, I like to, I feel for them. Like, sure. No, I get Vanessa really got it, man. Vanessa she really did. got it after that reunion. But uh, I don't know. You guys really fabulous. I hope you'll stop by at some other point to keep us updated. And if there's anything that you need uh, to get out on my show, you can always just send me an email and I'm happy to share cool. with you any, uh, any updates because this is something that we should be paying attention to because we want the health of reality shows overall. You guys, we love these things. We want to be assured that these people aren't like going to have to emotionally get help for the rest of their lives and we want fair working conditions. So Nick yeah. Thompson, Jeremy Hartwell, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I hope to talk to you again someday. Thanks so thank much. Thank you so much for having us on. Betches.